Welcome to episode four of Unraveling Pink, a podcast exploring gender-based assumptions or pink bandanas at work. I'm Annie Rogaski. Pink bandanas are my code word for those gender-based assumptions that turn out to be wrong and have a negative impact on another person or your workplace culture. In episode one, I shared my own personal pink bandana moment, which literally involved a pink bandana that I received from my basketball coach when I was playing on a boys basketball team. In this podcast, I interview women and men who share their personal stories about gender-based assumptions they have experienced or observed at work. We use those pink bandana moments to explore how we can unravel those assumptions to make our companies higher functioning and ultimately more successful. And we'll explore how we can reduce false assumptions and create a more constructive workplace. In this episode, I spoke with Dana Middleton, the author of Grace Meets Grit and principal at Larson Consulting Group. Dana shares some of the secrets about how women and men make and communicate decisions at work that may help us better understand our coworkers' decision-making styles. She also explains that leadership styles are not always male or female, but tend to be a mix of what she calls both grit and grace. She gives us a language that can help us ease our way into conversations about gender in the workplace and a lens through which to take on this episode's challenge. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to call out this episode's Unraveling Pink Fave, Better Male Allies. Check out this Twitter feed at at Better Allies, B-E-T-T-E-R-A-L-L-I-E-S, for fantastic and concrete tips on how to be more conscious about gender-based assumptions and ways to head off those assumptions. And now, here's my conversation with Dana. Welcome to Unraveling Pink, a podcast that explores gender-based assumptions or pink bandanas at work. I'm Annie Rogaski, and it is my pleasure today to welcome to the podcast Dana Middleton, the principal of Larson Consulting Group and recent author of the book Grace and Grit. Welcome, Dana. Thank you so much for having me, in. It's great to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Larson Consulting Group and about this book that you just wrote? Sure. So I am. I do a variety of consulting activities. Um, I do human capital consulting, so primary, primarily organizational development, things like leadership coaching, uh, team development, uh, organizational assessment, Um, I also do a fair amount of marketing as well. As you know, I spent a good bit of my career in marketing, the majority of it. And so I still do some of that, uh, especially digital transformation. Well, tell us a little bit about the book, Grace and Grit. What prompted you to write it? Yes. So Grace Meets Grit has been a project for the past three years. And I, I felt all along for the past probably 10 years throughout my career that we weren't right having the right gender conversation. So there's a lot of conversations. If, if you're a data geek and a digital geek like I am, you pull conversations from Google and you can actually see that conversations around equality have grown over the past five to seven years uh, exponentially, actually, which is great. Um, I think given the pay disparity, that conversation is still really important. But there was a conversation to me that was missing and primarily it reached uh, a pain point for me personally 
personally, as well as with many other women that I talk to, when they move into a leadership position within their organization, because at that point, they become a minority. You know, as they start their careers, women are a majority. 52% of employees are women as they leave college and enter the workplace. But as they move into leadership positions, as we all know from the deplorable numbers, that those numbers get smaller and smaller, and soon they're surrounded by male peers and they typically report to a man. And so the leadership standard, the real approach to leadership is still very male because men are in charge. It's not meant to be an exclusive club, but it is exclusive because in most organizations, men are the leadership majority. And so when I was CEO of Performix, I actually watched a young woman lose her job because her boss, who was a man, didn't feel that she knew how to make decisions when in fact her process and approach to decision making was just different than his. And it had never occurred to him that that was the case. So at that point, that was really the tipping point that I said, okay, I have to do research and I have to start writing this down because we need to get to this level of conversation and the old bias training, the sensitivity training that was really, and still is to a certain extent dominant in the workplace, isn't having meaningful behavior change impact. And so I felt like I needed to help drive that message and be a champion for that. That's great. I, it, hearing you tell that story of moving up into leadership and then finding that you're the only woman in the room, I think will resonate with a lot of people, myself included. And I've heard a lot of women who are at that level really talk about being lonely, not that they aren't surrounded by a lot of people, but that they aren't feeling as understood or that their their work style is as comfortable or fits as well with the organization as either it used to or as as the people that they see around them, which typically tend to be men. I, th- I think part of the, the issue that comes up is just acknowledging, oh, this is why I feel lonely. It's, it, it is a numbers game and it is different. And how can I then navigate it? So once you're through that process of acknowledging the the emotion or the feeling, then, okay, now what do I do about it? And I, I love that you're looking at that because I agree with you that the bias training is not really getting us there. It's important for people to at least take that first step to acknowledge that they have bias because we all do. Absolutely. But then you're right. What do you do at that point? Tell us a little bit more about what you see in the decision-making process between genders. What's What's different about how women might approach decision-making as opposed to men and recognizing that in this podcast, as in all these conversations, we make certain generalizations just to facilitate the conversation. Sure. So uh, it turns out decision-making may be the most biased leadership behavior that there is. Um, I'm not sure why necessarily this is the case, um, but certainly there are are many um, research studies that point to this. Potentially, it could be because decision-making is so important as a leadership trait and quality. And again, to your point on bias, we're all very comfortable with a male approach. But all leadership behaviors, decision-making included, are really um, based on our communication styles. So if you think about the fact that a person's leadership style is basically an extension of their communication style, women use communication as a tool to enhance social connections and create relationships. Men, on the other hand, use communication to achieve tangible outcomes, preserve status, and avoid failure. And so if you look at decision-making through that lens, all of the research shows that women have a very inclusive 
process when it comes to decision making. Participative decision making is their just their approach. They actually feel as a leader that it's their obligation to uh, reach out to others, get their opinion, and represent that opinion back. But whereas men, especially in stressful situations, so if you translate this into the work environment and there's a critical business issue, tend to become very exclusionary and individually focused. And so they are much more autonomous in their approach, much more directive in their approach, and less participative. And again, it's not that either is right or wrong. They're just different. And I think with any business situation, you can imagine where both provide value to the organization. But if you don't understand that, whether you're a man or a woman, then there tends to be uh, a misunderstanding. That is a lot to take in. I, I, I've been digesting what you've said. And it's as I'm listening to you talk about that, I'm, I'm seeing different uh, relationships that I've had in the workplace and I have people in decision-making roles and how they react. I can see those patterns. And it's interesting too, just from a management standpoint, even before you get to the decision-making, it almost is for the women that the relationships that you're building as you're managing your team then are leverageable when you get to those decision-making points. Whereas the men, I think, I, I think it's harder sometimes for men in the workplace to develop relationships that they then can can draw upon when they're making decisions. And there's a lot more of a stigma or an expectation that men should know the answer or should be able to make a decision on their own. And I wonder how much of it is society imposed or self-imposed as opposed to just a leadership style. Well, there's a fair amount of brain research that actually indicates that even the way a man's brain is wired is for immediate action. Now, um, you could argue that culturally there are status implications, and certainly gender is one of those um, interesting topics today that's probably a lot of gray and not a lot of black and white. I actually paint the picture to be very black and white just to give us a language and dialogue around this. But obviously, we all have within ourselves male and female qualities, so there may be a man who's very good at building relationships, but he's going to have a very keen eye around status and failure avoidance is part of that. And then also be predisposed to immediate action. Whereas a woman is going to be predisposed mostly to relationships and also thinking about the bigger picture. In fact, she will sacrifice immediate action to look at the larger picture and or be more inclusive. I think, again, thinking about that and providing the context of that and the understanding is really important. And sometimes these things play out in very subtle ways. So I did a workshop last week in Boise, and I had a very young millennial woman come to the table with an email example where she got in big trouble for sending an email. It was a very simple email, and she kept reading the words over and over again, and there was nothing inflammatory in the words themselves. But she had basically, through someone who was higher in the organization than her, stepped on his status toes electronically in a very subtle way. And until I explained the, the lens difference to her, she really didn't understand. And I think that is what we're talking about here. This is These are all subtleties, but if you can at least step back and have the very simple, clear lens of one is very relationship-focused, the other is immediate action and status-driven, you can start to at least interpret potentially what might happen in certain situations and be aware. You also can leverage those strengths depending on the business situation as well. So I'm thinking of how these these 
communication styles and decision-making styles play out in the workplace and how someone who is on the receiving end might assume something other than this is their decision-making style and this is a normal or natural approach to decision-making for this person. Mm-hmm. And I can envision that just taking the two gender examples or the grace and grit examples that someone on the grace side would would see this immediate decision-making and not consulting the group as, as maybe even a wrong decision-making process given that person's perspective. If, if their lens is the way that I know how to do it is the way that it should be done or the way that is correct, then seeing someone else handle decision-making a different way could be seen as wrong or there, I can envision some judging happening there. If you don't understand that somebody else has a different approach and that that approach has benefits and there are reasons to it that are important, it's just a different style. It is. Is, that, is that kind of what you're seeing of people feeling like their their way is right or wrong, or how how are you seeing those assumptions play out in the workplace? Well, it actually so in the case of the young woman who lost her job, um, if you talked to her boss, his opinion was she she really can't make any decisions herself. Her, mm-hmm. All of her good ideas come from her team. <laughs> right. Yeah. And again, it just it's not that he was saying that's wrong. It just never occurred to him. And for me personally, what I was shocked by is that decision was already made. They had already come upon a, a separation agreement. It was a done deal. She was gone and she was a very highly valued individual. So then fast forward several months, I was actually having a conversation with one of my direct reports who was talking about an employee of his, and it was almost the same words came out of his mouth, which is, you know, she just takes so much time making decisions. I'm not sure she can make decisions by herself. And it was those exact same words that I, and in that point I was in a, in a position to intervene. And I said, well, wait a minute, have you ever considered that maybe she just has a different process than you do? And he said, no, it never occurred to me. And so then when I talked with her after, you know, asking permission from him, if it was all right, if I spoke with his employee, she said, well, yes, I involved him. Yes, I wanted his opinion. I, of course, have a plan of action. This is what I think I'm going to do. And, and, but I felt like my process needed to be very inclusive. And if I didn't involve him, what the heck is is his role? So you had two individuals who were trying to do the right thing and, you know, headed down these paths and had just never really had the conversation. And that, that was the purpose of Grace Meets Grit is, is really to help people understand that neither is right or wrong. They both are great, but let's acknowledge these things and then also have a language around it so that we can help each other understand because when we're all in a business situation where we're running down a path trying to do the right thing, all of this stuff gets lost. Right. Yeah. And and sometimes you don't even know that there's a problem. Yes. So it's, it's interesting that sometimes I think we complain to someone else. And so you, I mean, you just give the example where you were able to be an intermediary for these two people because someone came to you and, and talked with you about it. I wonder if there are cues that we can be aware of where we can 
identify that there is a problem so that a conversation can happen. It would be great if we had you to always be there for us to <laughs> be our intermediary. Right. But what, and, and I would also say that I know that there are a lot of great tips in your book and people should pick that up and read it. And that will help facilitate conversations as well. But what are some things that you can share with our audience that, that they could do to either identify that this might be happening so that they know they should start a conversation? Or if they do decide to start a conversation, how do they approach that, especially if they're talking with their boss? Mm -hmm. Well, um, it's interesting you say that because I had read so many other great books. Honestly, there's a number of other books about these gender differences, but they were so complex. And to your point, it was so difficult to wade through and try to figure out how to distill this down to something very simple, which was absolutely the intent. So again, if you think of grace as the female, more relationship style leader and grit being the more immediate action status conscious leader, you are able to have that dialogue and conversation. And in fact, it's not just about men and women. It's also about those attributes within yourself. Together is better, whether it's within yourself or within your team. Even my team reminded me last week, did you leave your grace at home today? <laughs> right? And so, and that's a very non-inflammatory um, language and dialogue that gets us closer to, I think, where we want to go because there's so much time spent on these innuendos that what if we translated that all back into business performance? What could we actually do there that would be amazing? So so that is the intent to get it distilled down to something very clear and easy to understand and even a language around it. And certainly there are always going to be situations where the misunderstandings occur. And oftentimes culture also plays a a role in this. We had a very rich discussion at the workshop I did last week around this with this young woman bringing this example to play. And, you know, in one organization, culturally, that email would have meant nothing. It would have been fine. On the other hand, in her culture, it was a big deal. And I think for millennials in particular, their view of gender is pretty broad. And, you know, we've seen this in, in many ways. And so they are really walking blind into a leadership approach that in many ways they just don't understand. So it was also interesting to see that the dynamics of women who had been in the workplace several decades um, interacting with millennials and having that interesting dialogue around their perceptions of the world. So in any case, that is the intent. I can't be there to hold everyone's hand, but if we can at least start the dialogue and have a conversation that's not inflammatory, that's not men do this or women do this, but rather these are attributes that are beneficial if we can add diversity to the team. And also there are ways that we can actually improve both within ourselves, which is where my leadership coaching comes into play. Balancing that grit and grace within yourself is also um, helps make you be a, a better leader. Yeah, it, I can definitely see that. that the, I mean, you're, you, I think it would be rare to find someone who is entirely grace or entirely grit and doesn't have any percentage of the other and right. really trying to find a way to balance the two to get to a leadership style that is both effective and you, not a fake style, but something that really resonates with who you are, but leveraging some of those aspects of grace or grit that don't come as naturally as the other I can see that having a huge impact in leadership and certainly resulting in a more inclusive work environment for, for both genders. 
In fact, you can go to my site and take a quiz to find out if you're grace, grace meets grit or grit. Um, and so I will do this for organizations, have them take this quiz ahead of time. And then we'll look at the population and you will learn if you, to your point, if you fit within that or not. Uh, for women in particular, the other reason I felt this was so important for to have this conversation is if you hit that leadership role and you feel like your style is a minority, so it's much more of the traditional leadership male style or grit style, it behooves you to hang on to your innate qualities and style because all of the research shows that that's better for your teams. It's better for you. But again, you may hesitate on that. You may think, well, do I need to become like this and even get pressure to? So my message is, yep, you're going to face this, but hang on to the innate qualities that you bring to the table because they're valuable. Right. But then we have the the language that you've provided as non-personal ways of talking about it. What what I like about yes. your language of, of grace and grit is that you can you can talk about it almost in the abstract without saying you are this and you are that. Yes. Um, and so it's it can facilitate a much more constructive conversation. That is the hope. That is my <laughs> wish. <laughs> Normally I start out with a pink bandana moment, a personal story that you have about gender-based assumptions that personally impacted you or that you've observed and we've heard a lot from you about what you've observed with others or in your coaching. Is there a personal story that you would be willing to share with us that is your own pink bandana moment? Sure. So I, I actually start the book with this story. Um, my first job in life really was fighting fires for the Bureau of Land Management during the summer months of my college years. I was only 18 years old and it was really my first opportunity to observe men and women working together. I was lucky enough, this was in the 1980s, uh, to work for a BLM district that hired really diverse crews. So there were, crews were assigned to trucks in groups of two or three depending on the size of the tanker. And there were all men crews that were involved in the uh, district. There were all women crews and there were co-ed crews. And so I had the opportunity to work alongside two men on a larger pumper truck. And it was interesting because I remember learning hierarchy associated with various jobs, even though at the time, again, I didn't have the lens that I have today. So tasks like driving the truck or manning the lines or even where you were going to sleep at night and, and how that was decided. There was no instruction manual, for example, that said that driving the truck was the top level job and went to the most senior leader. This was just really kind of understood and it took me, honestly, years to earn the right to drive that truck. And and this has probably, you know, stuck with me for a long time because I noticed certain behavior nuances of different team dynamics within the crews. So, for example, the men crews were nearly always the first to charge out, taking the fire head on at top speed. And their primary goal was immediate action. They wanted to put the fire out as quickly as possible. And they also really enjoyed the bragging rights that came with success in that. Whereas the women crews tended to hesitate a bit before charging in. They wanted to consider the overall plan, communicate it thoroughly with everyone involved, and relationships within an 
among the crews were really important. And so really seeing this was perhaps my pink bandana moment. And that stuck with me because that really resonates and is consistent with Grace Meets Grid, if you will. That's such a great story. And you must have been a very mature 18-year-old to be able to observe those different relationships and interactions because it it seems like that was the perfect platform for the book that you wrote X years later. (laughs) Um, But to be able to be in that environment and actually observe that is amazing. Yeah, I I don't think it honestly stuck with me at the time. Um, Probably when it really all came back to me was the year that I first moved into a leadership position, which as a first level manager was the most difficult transition of my career. I honestly thought I was going crazy. There seemed to be a secret code that my male peers and male manager just seemed to understand. And I wondered if I was even ready for that promotion. Um, My boss actually, who was a man was quite supportive and tried to help me. And even though he acknowledged my missteps he didn't know how to help me. And so, you know, it was further reflection upon experiences. And as I started to do the research that it all just became sort of clear um, to me. So I'm not sure that I was that mature at that moment to have that cognizance, but it certainly played out to be the case later. And and also is, is a nice story. It's not everybody you meet who's been a rangeland firefighter before. That is true. I think you're the first that I've met. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I like to encourage our listeners to do is to try something in the workplace. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on what our listeners can do when they go back to work tomorrow and engage their coworkers in a conversation that would help reduce or remove or dispel assumptions. And it could be about leadership styles, it could be about decision making, but is there something that you would challenge our listeners to do in their daily work to help create the conversation around gender-based assumptions so that we can work to reduce them? Sure. I think in my particular case, I would I would encourage people to stand back and look at, consider situations and really think about the lens that I've asked you to look through. So look at, you know, women working through the relationship lens versus men working through the immediate action status conscious lens and watch how this plays itself out so that you have a broader awareness of that. And it, it, like I mentioned with the email example, sometimes those aren't actual uh, visual behaviors. They play themselves out in many, many ways, even in electronic forms today. So if you have that lens and think about, you know, the relationship grace focused and the immediate action status conscious grit focus, think about how you can add value if you can look through that lens. And then also look for the value in both because I'm not advocating that one is right or wrong. They're both very valid and both bring value to the organization, depending on where you are. But I think having that lens and being able to step back and view it in that perspective helps you as you move forward into everyday interactions. That's a great challenge. Also an easy one in terms of not having to put yourself out there too much. You can observe things and see whether behavior falls into the grace or the grit bucket. I think people will learn a lot just from having that perspective and looking through different lenses. So thank you for that challenge. Sure. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about on this podcast? 
No, I really appreciate you having me. And I am hopeful that this will really change the conversation or add a further dimension beyond the equality conversation. So um, any feedback that anyone has, I'm, I welcome it all and, and hope that we can start a new dialogue. Great. Well, thank you for all your great insights today. We will put a link to your website so people can take the quiz and see where they fall on the grace grit spectrum. And we will also put a link to where they can purchase your book, Grace Meets Grit. And everyone, you should check it out. There are some great tips, um, particularly in the second half of the book. It gives you nice tips, whether you're on the grace side or the grit side of how you can approach different situations. So it's a an excellent how-to book to improve your, your leadership style, your transformational leadership style, and your decision-making approach. So thank you so much, Dana, for your time and your insights today. Uh, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Danny. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're interested in taking the Grace versus Grit quiz, Check out our show notes for a link, as well as a link to purchase Dana's book if you'd like to get deeper into the subject. If you accepted Dana's challenge to view things through grace or grit lenses and learn something from it, please tweet your insights to at UnravelingPink or shoot us a note on our contact page at UnravelingPink.com. Together, we can unravel the pink bandana.